Hello, and welcome to the Blue Earth Podcast, a show focused on discussing our oceans and how to care for them. My name is John Sherburn. I'm the show's producer, and I want to talk to you for a second about who we are and how you can get a hold of us. The Blue Earth Podcast is brought to you by Future Frogmen, a non-for-profit organization focused on developing our ocean ambassadors and future leaders. We are a diverse, interdisciplinary team of devoted students, educators, activists, artists, scientists, and public policy and business professionals who want to keep our Earth blue. We welcome involvement from anybody interested in making Earth's water environment safer, cleaner, and better than ever. If you like the show, please subscribe, like, rate, comment, review, whatever floats your boat. If you want to see more Future Frogmen content, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and LinkedIn at Future Frogmen and at our website, futurefrogmen.org, where you can subscribe to hear about upcoming podcasts and events. Right now, we're gearing up for weekly podcasts where we'll converse with guests about our oceans. Until we're fully up and running, we're repurposing our video conversation series to showcase some of our favorite episodes, like today's. Our podcast host and president is Richard Hyman, who has a lot of experience with our oceans. Today's guest speaker is Dr. Wallace J. Nichols, a scientist and activist who focuses on protecting water as well as our own mental health. He's written books and been all over the entertainment sphere, radio, TV, news broadcasting, you name it, talking about how to live with our planet as opposed to on top of it. Today's talk focuses on the concept of blue mind and how to maintain peace and equilibrium by using, well, water. Thank you, and remember, anybody can be an ocean ambassador. Let's get into it. Good evening, everyone. I want to invite you to uh, the Future Frogman conversation series. I'm really delighted have Dr. Wallace J. Nichols join us tonight. Uh, before we uh, go over to Jay, uh, Dr. Nichols likes to go by Jay, so I'll be calling him Jay. Um, we'll, we're going to have about a 25 or 30 minute conversation. I know Jay has a, a ton of uh, thoughts and information, so I, I'm sure it'll be great. And then I think it's going to be very exciting to go into some Q&A after that. So if you could hold your questions during our conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation, we are recording it and uh, we will be editing it and put, posting it on uh, our website, uh, futurefrogmen.org. Uh, Future Frogmen is a like-minded community of people that are, are passionate about the ocean. And uh, our mission is to develop ocean ambassadors and future leaders. So that, that's what we do at Future Frogmen. Feel free to check out our website and uh, please subscribe as we have ongoing conversations uh, such as this one. Uh, Jay, is uh, his resume would take me half an hour to read to you. He's so accomplished. <laughs> He's a marine scientist, a uh, ocean advocate, a prolific writer uh, in scientific magazines, uh, mainstream magazines, and he's written a best-selling book called Blue Mind, which I highly recommend. I, I reached out to Jay because uh, I, I feel like right now we are all under uh, extraordinary stress, different stress than we've ever experienced in our lives. And I thought that his uh, a conversation about what he knows about neuroscience, about the water and the, the health benefits of that, and, and some of the challenges that uh, we're all facing now, I thought it could be uh, rather therapeutic to us and, and quite fascinating. So uh, with that, um, Jay, uh, welcome. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have you with us. That's an honor to join you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I, I'd like to uh, maybe start at the beginning and talk a, a little bit about perhaps your personal story growing up and uh, what, what brought you to this fascination with water? Yeah, well, that's, I think my, my story is very similar to a lot of people who will be listening. Uh, as a kid, I, I just loved the water. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, so there's some things on land that, it, that made me uncomfortable. I, I stuttered, uh, I was a little bit shy, but in the water, I felt, I felt very good. And, um, just, you know, was inspired by Jacques Cousteau. I think a lot of us probably had, had a similar experience and um, decided I wanted to make a career that involved being by the water. And uh, we're not, there weren't that many choices presented, presented to me and um, marine biologist was a good one. So I, I pursued that, became a marine biologist and, uh, you know, eventually became curious about that the feeling that 
that pretty much has dominated my life and pretty much dictated where where I go and how I live. Uh, sorry, as this truck goes by. Um, I wondered about that feeling that has driven driven the basically the whole arc of, of from my childhood throughout my life, and got kind of curious about that. Um, as a marine biologist, I, I love turtles, so I spent a lot of time tracking turtles and studying them, and of course contributing to their uh, their conservation and protection and their recovery, which um, has been a, a a pleasure and an honor to work with my, my fellow turtle biologists around the world. Um, the last 10 years have been really focused on that, the question that you opened with, which is, what is it about the water and particularly the ocean that uh, um, heals us when we need that, calms us when we need that, uh, encourages us, builds our confidence, um, boosts our creativity. If you are into music, you can probably name a lot of songs that have been inspired and uh, influenced by ocean creativity. So we became curious about that, that subject, which I think is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about here. Right. And some of that, some of your studies were at the University of Arizona, right? Yeah. So I, I did my PhD at University of Arizona. Um, most people think uh, studying sea turtles at the University of Arizona doesn't make sense, but it's really not that far from the Gulf of California and Mexico. Uh, where I did a lot of my, my research and uh, did my master's at Duke University in North Carolina in uh, marine, marine economics or uh, natural resource economics and policy. Uh, my undergrad in Indiana, another well-known ocean location um, <laughs> at DePaul University. I learned to scuba dive in the quarries of Indiana, um, which I highly recommend if you live in Indiana. <laughs> It's a good good place to learn to dive. And uh, the advantage of learning to scuba dive in quarries in Indiana is that every single dive for the rest of your life will probably be better. Uh, it's like, it just gets better. Um, unlike some of my colleagues who learned to dive in paradise and then have been trying to get back there, um, uh, I, I started in a cold, murky quarry in Indiana, so. It's really only just gotten better from there. Yeah, that's uh, funny. I can relate to that uh, in two ways. Yeah, my some of my diving training was in the quarries in New York State, and uh, you know, cars at the bottom and things like that. Not too exciting. But uh, then, of course, I had the opportunity to work with Cousteau, and uh, I so therefore I've always been looking for that paradise, like you you said. You know, in, in today's world, I'm. I'm spoiled. But uh, tell us more about what what drove you to water, though, because you, you you've you know you you alluded to it, but can you can you drill down on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, as a kid, uh, I was adopted and had uh, you know, I wouldn't say major problems, but you know I never felt quite certain where I was from, uh, where I belonged, um, and I don't know if stuttering had anything you know was connected to that at all, but I was kind of an introvert and didn't like to speak. Uh, out loud, at least. And, uh, but when I was in the water, I felt complete. You know, I felt that's where I belonged. I felt held. I felt like the, the ocean, the water, my mother. Um, people don't talk to you underwater. That's really handy if you're a stutterer. You don't have to answer any questions. So you just kind of chill that way. And, um, and I know that at, at the time, I, I didn't know other people who felt that way. But now, of course, you know, there's lots of us who find each other um, who, who would describe their relationship to water as something more than merely functional or economic, um, certainly more than hydration and hygiene and work, um, something more along the lines of a best friend uh, throughout your life. And so, you know, I can, I can look back on it and I wouldn't have answered these questions the same way back then. But now that I've spent some time hanging out with psychologists and uh, neuroscientists and behavioral scientists, uh, I've learned that there's a connection there. You know, we all we all spent 9.2 months uh, underwater during the beginning part of our lives. You don't remember a lot of that, but you lived, you know, a good long time underwater. It was dark and salty. It was called mom. And... Uh, and then you come out into the world, and my first experience was separation. I was, I was taken from my mother and 
held for a little while and kind of in limbo before I was presented to my adoptive family. And I'm sure that has something to do with the affinity I have with water because every time I get in the water, I feel home. And I feel like that, that reconnection. I'm not going to say it's a womb-like experience every time, but um, I've, heard, I've heard it described that way by lots of people, uh, metaphorically and literally. Yeah. Is that deep enough? <laughs> that's, that, that's, uh, I appreciate your sharing that with us. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story. Uh, really appreciate that. Now, along the way, you got into studying the brain and neuroscience mm. and how that relates to water. And you've coined some terms like uh, blue brain, red brain, gray brain. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, as an ocean scientist and marine ecologist and, and conservationist, I quickly recognized that no matter how much we learned about the reefs and the turtles and, and the climate and plastic, Really, all of these, these problems are human behavioral problems. And everywhere I went, I'd meet people who knew a lot about the animals and the ecological part, but knew very little about the human condition. I thought, wow, if, if conservation is really about human behavior change, there should be somebody around here who understands human behavior change. Uh, there should be board members and staff and scientists they're called neuroscientists and neuropsychologists. Uh, they should be out here working on this, but that wasn't the case. It still really isn't for the most part. Um, most ocean organizations do not have a neuroscientist on staff or a psychologist uh, or on the board. Uh, they all should, that would be my opinion. So as my degrees are in, like I said, in economics and evolutionary biology and wildlife ecology, so I'm, I'm no better, uh, but I did recognize that I should probably start hanging out with and learn from uh, people who study human behavior in the brain. So basically I gave myself a, another degree in, in neuroscience by doing online courses, attending every neuroscience conference I could possibly attend. Literally I was, when I used to swim laps, I would listen to the courses, MIT neuroscience courses in my ear, this waterproof uh, headset. And so I'd get my workout in while taking my neuroscience class and started to connect the dots between healthy humans and healthy water. And it turns out it's, it's, it's pretty intuitive. It's pretty obvious, um, but hadn't really been from the therapeutic side, from the human health side. Um, not a lot of people were thinking about water and from the water and ocean, lake and riverside, not that many people were thinking about human emotional health. Uh, it seemed like an important bridge to build, and it turns out it, it was. So that was about 10 years ago. We started this project called uh, Blue Mind, and um, the term Blue Mind just refers to that, uh, to those cognitive, emotional, psychological, social, and spiritual health benefits that we experience when we're near, in, on, or underwater. And you can contrast Blue Mind, you know, the best way to understand it is, as you mentioned, to start with Red Mind which is our new normal, which is uh, a little anxious, a little bit stressed, a little bit distracted, somewhat overwhelmed, overcommitted, um, overstimulated. Um, that's, our, that's our new normal. You wake up in the morning and you look at your phone probably before you get out of bed. You look at your text messages and you start to feel a little anxious. Most people feel you know, at least mild stress most of the time about something. Uh, and so if you look at you look at the research, the American Psychological Association says that, you know, red mind, stress and anxiety is at a high level uh, in the United States. Um, if you stay in that place too long, you will burn out, 100% guaranteed. Uh, you'll physically and emotionally wear down. And that's gray mind, uh, burnout breakdown, uh, which can lead to mild or even severe depression. This was all going on three months ago. Uh, the American Psychological Association, WHO, recognized anxiety and stress to be too high and, and workplace burnout to be too prevalent and very costly, by the way. So if you want to put it in economic terms, uh, too much red mind and gray mind costs us billions of dollars 
in sick days and lack of productivity. Um, you might be at your desk, but if you're burnt out, you're not producing. Um, and lack of creativity, uh, lack of collaboration. So in red mind and gray mind mode, collaboration, creativity go out the window um, in the best of times. So now in this kind of different, different, different scenario that we're living through, like hard to even describe what it is, um, this global pandemic, well, red mind is through the roof. And I guarantee we're going to see a lot more gray mind, a lot more burnout um, for all of the reasons uh, that I described. So physiologically, we're just not capable of living in the fight or flight red mind mode. Um, so let's get back to blue mind because nobody really wants to hang out and talk about depression and anxiety all day. Blue mind to the rescue, really. So it works better than anything I've, I've ever seen, uh, possibly on par with music and a really good dog at your side, uh, water, being in water of all shapes and forms. If you love lakes, if you love rivers, if you love pools, if you love sitting in the hot tub, if you love your bath, if you love the ocean, if you love surfing or diving or swimming or just floating on your back, yes to it all. It's, it's the best medicine we have. And uh, I don't know why we've left that out of both from the healthcare side and also from the ocean conservation side, but we have. It's not in the textbooks. Uh, it's not in the NGO talking points. Um, but we need to bring it in. I think it's, it's really exciting to imagine a world where all of our health practitioners understand Blue Mind and all of our ocean health practitioners also understand Blue Mind. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us a lot coming out of this uh, red mind moment that we're in right now. So, Jay, in some of the research I did about you, I, I... I know you, uh, you've worked with or you've influenced people like Martin Pollack, for example. Could you share a few kind of uh, success stories where, where water has impacted people in su such positive ways? Yeah, there's a, you know, a couple of people in particular that are, are examples of a larger community. Um, Martin Pollack, uh, Bobby Lane, both veterans. Martin's from Cornwall, England. Uh, Bobby's from Texas. Um, Martin returned from Afghanistan with one of his arms in, and uh, nothing else, neither leg. Um, and uh, in his words, he said he was, he was planning on being a, a blob on the bar stool at the pub with his mates for the rest of his life. And um, he got introduced to surf therapy uh, or just surfing and uh, hooked up with a group called Operation Surf that serves first responders and veterans and uh got into it and got got his head together um, started working on his fitness regime got a prosthetic paddle arm uh and now he's out surfing with laird hamilton in in hawaii and he's a uh, uh definitely a surf therapy ambassador um and along with bobby lane who you know physically you would say oh bobby looks fine but he he's a poster guy for post-traumatic stress and uh Nothing was working for him until he got a surfboard and caught his third wave and decided that he wanted to live. And prior to that, he didn't. And, uh, and so both of these guys and, and people like them, men and women around the world who have um, experienced Blue Mind through surfing and diving and open water swimming and free diving and scuba diving and uh, sailing and paddling, they become advocates for, for those sports. But I think even more important, uh, Martin would say, I'm trained, I'm a trained warrior. I'm trained to fight and win. And our government spent a lot of money to train me to be a warrior. And now I'm an ocean warrior. And the, because the ocean gave me my life back. And so I am here to fight for the ocean. I want those men and women on our, our side for sure for the ocean. And, uh, you know, there are groups like Force Blue that I've done a lot of work with who are um, special ops veterans, mostly dealing with some, some degree of post-traumatic stress. Um, they all have aquatic skills, and they're reapplying those skills not to blow things up or rescue people, uh, but to um, do coral reef restoration. And in the process, they're restoring themselves. So there's this dual, dual feature of... Um, Blue Mind Therapy 
uh, along with service. And when you align those things, um, you know, if you do a surf therapy session, you combine it with a beach cleanup and ocean advocacy, uh, it's incredibly powerful. And we, we build a bigger movement. We build a more diverse movement. Uh, we build a movement that can transcend um, political divisiveness, I think. Um, and most importantly, we start protecting and restoring oceans and waterways um, with, more, with more effort, with a, with a group of people with some pretty good skills. Um, so that's, that's some of the stuff that's most exciting right now is, is when we combine Blue Mind Therapy with the service element, uh, the restoration part. Um, turns out it's good, it's good for the, the individual to do acts of service. It's good for our brains. It's good, it's good for our recovery. Um, being in the water is good for us. And certainly it's good for our, our planet to have uh, a bigger force, uh, a force blue working you know, on its behalf. So um, that's where I think you get the blue mind work really uh, kind of makes the most sense is when it's combined with that, the restorative elements. I can think it's not really happening much and you know, I'm sort of surprised and disappointed in myself but working on a sea turtle beach, if you've ever worked on a sea turtle beach, walking and patrolling and moving eggs and protecting hatchlings, it's hard work, but it's incredibly therapeutic. And if you've spent too much time in a city, I would prescribe a week on a turtle beach to, to fix what's, what's wrong with you uh, from that urban experience. And um, I think we're gonna need a lot of, sea turtles need help, and uh, people are going to come out of this, this phase that we're in needing a lot of help. And I think turtle beach therapy could be a really uh, a good way to do it. If people are willing to throw down a few bucks to spend some time saving baby turtles on a beach while taking better care of their mental health. Uh, that sounds like a really good deal. Yeah, excellent. You've already touched on a few things, but let, let's talk about this a little bit further. In today's stressful, high anxiety COVID environment where people are even being prevented perhaps from walking on their beach uh, or, or surfing or what have you. Um, what, what sort of thoughts do you have about that? And what, what can people do that are dependent upon that mentally and physically? Yeah, so there's, there's three categories. When I think of, of our waters in terms of blue mind, there's three, three categories that I talk about. Um, one is our wild water, so the lakes and the rivers and the parks and the beaches um, that we, we pretty much take for granted that you can go if you want to. Uh, and that's becoming more limited for, for reasons related to social distancing and quarantining. Um, and so that makes us think a little more about the two other categories, and that's domestic water. And so any, any kind of water that's in a, in a tank or a pool or a tub, um, you know, sort of harnessed and not allowed to want, run wild, that's the domestic water. And then virtual water. Uh, so any depiction of water, uh, any representation of water where there in fact is no water. <laughs> so that could be art, photography, film, music, uh, recordings of the water itself. Um, could be poetry, could be your, your favorite, could be Moby Dick, the great, the great blue mind novel of all time. So you've got, we've got really to, you know, to work with the virtual water and we've got to work with the domestic water. And so domestic water at home would be your shower, your bathtub, uh, if you're fortunate to have a, a bigger, bigger kind of tub, a jacuzzi or a hot tub, or access to a swimming pool that's well-maintained and has the appropriate social distancing going on, whether it's in your own backyard or your neighbor's backyard, take advantage of those. And if you're, if you're an avid ocean person or water person and you're feeling that stress of not being able to get to it, take long baths and take mindful baths and mindful showers and go find a swimming pool that you can go in and practice your breath hold and do all those, those exercises that you can do in a pool. Um, not just swim laps, you know, do, do all kinds of other stuff. Move your body, move in different directions, spend some time underwater. Um, it's a little bit hard to do those things in the, in the bathtub, but 
you can get creative. Uh, and then of course the virtual water, you know, really hang that, hang that photograph up that you've have in the closet of your, your favorite dive spot uh, or your, your favorite body of water. Or maybe it's a painting. Or maybe you've got a video that you took. And by the way, I think there's some amazing ocean films and I'm a, I'm a fan of all of them. But I think the most compelling right now, emotionally satisfying uh, are the films you made. Uh, not the films I made, uh, not the films that won Academy Awards, but the, the films that you made uh, with the people you love. And they might be very poor production quality as mine are. Uh, I wouldn't even want you to look at them, but they make me the happiest. And so go back to those, like rewatch, look at the photographs that you took of your family, of your loved ones, of your friends, uh, with your camera, or that they took of you, and go back through those, you know, on the water. Um, it's, you know, it says as or more satisfying than, than the million dollar, you know, blockbuster documentary films. Um, not to downplay how beautiful they are, in fact. So use those as well. Uh, and then make a playlist, your Blue Mind playlist, your own personal Blue Mind playlist. What are the 10 songs that uh, bring you back to the water you love? Uh, might be a little Jack Johnson, a little Jimmy Buffett. Uh, maybe you go the country route and, you know, Kenny Chesney has a few songs about boats. Um, sitting on the dock of the bay, I don't know. Just make your playlist. Uh, so these are ways that we can stay in a Blue Mind uh, mode, even when we're you know, cut off from the water we love. Um, that said, I think uh, I had, yesterday I had four conversations with four different mayors uh, around the country about how to bring access back when it's been limited. And I think, I think we'll get there. I think it's, there's going to be a, a, a transition over the next week or two. Um, but much in the same way people are lining up and, and staying apart from each other to go into a grocery store. They're doing a one in, one out kind of system, uh, and maybe having a unidirectional path through the grocery store and, and certain rules. I think we can do that around our lakes, along our rivers, uh, on the piers, and on the beaches, and allow, you know, if you stood in line and you said, "Really, I'm, I'm just such a water guy. Uh, this is my medicine." You get an hour walking on the beach, and then if you need another dose, another hour, you get back in line. And you go another another lap. Uh, one of the former mayors of, of a town in Arizona, where my parents lived, um, they have a small lake in the middle of town, and and uh, people like to walk around it. And they've got it set up that you have to go one direction. There's a one way path, and uh, it's keeping people sane. You know, uh, they they can't cut it off. They know that that would be a disaster. So um, I think just remembering that uh, don't, take your, don't take your water access for granted. Um, you know, take good care of it, make sure it stays public, uh, make sure it stays clean and healthy. That's one of the reminders that I'm, you know, gonna make people aware of as we come through this. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm anxious to get to some questions, but before we do that, I, I would like, uh, I know you're uh, passionate about the blue marble, so I'd like to ask oh, yeah. Speak about the blue marble. Yeah. So uh, I, the blue marble that I have handy right here is this one on the spine of my book, and it looks just like the ones that we hand out. Right, uh, the last chapter of this book describes why we've shared blue marbles, and um, it's just—I mean, it really over the past ten years we've sh we've shared blue marbles with millions of people around the world, and it's it's really the symbol of this conversation of our uh of a, the gratitude we should have for all of our waters and for the people who who work to protect and restore them and um back in the day meaning three months ago if you got a blue marble you were asked to pass it on to someone uh with some words of gratitude uh, right now we're saying hang on to it <laughs> keep it in your pocket uh and we'll come back to the time when when sharing the marbles is appropriate um, but starting tomorrow for Earth Month, uh, we're doing a, a simple online campaign. We're asking people to uh, share a photo of someone they want to say thank you to every day uh, and tag, tag them and, and, 
as a virtual blue marble um, or share a photo of a blue marble and tag them and, and thank them. So thank somebody every single day for the next month uh, for doing what they do uh, to, to protect and restore our water planet, for doing, doing good stuff to keep this place healthy. And uh, uh, use the Blue Mind hashtag so we can all follow each other. That's the goal. And whatever social media platform uh, you may, may or may not use, uh, or just send it via email, you know, send a, send a note to someone and say, thinking about you, thank you for your work, here's a blue marble, uh, pass it on. And in that way, we, we use one of, I think it's one of our superpowers, like gratitude, uh, saying thank you and really meaning it um, is, is a, a powerful motivator. And uh, shame doesn't work nearly as well. Fear and guilt uh, and yelling have their role, but I think gratitude and and uh, and kindness can really are the things that get things done. You know, I'll go so far as to say love is uh, really what it's all about. Um, the people people like you who you know just continue are unstoppable. Um, it's not because of a, a financial incentive; it's because of love. It's a a deep, heartfelt emotional personal connection that makes you unstoppable um and so let's figure out ways to make more unstoppable people like you that's really the goal here and uh i think blue mind is part of it you know yeah well that's very kind thank you um captain Cousteau, one of his my, my favorite quotation of his was protect what you love so that's yep. spot on with what you're saying and thanks for all those great uh tips for us and uh, other people that will be viewing this. I'd like to open it up to questions now. Does anyone have a question? Uh, please feel free to unmute yourself and ask your question. Jay, I think you're doing fantastic work. Uh, this is Tom Goligoski. I live down in uh, South Carolina and uh, by Charleston. And I really uh, appreciate you saying I want to add some of the blue, you know, I think I've got a blue mind of anything uh, compared to the, you mentioned the, the red or the uh, gray. Uh, I like to add uh, marshes to that, uh, that water. Absolutely. I do a lot of uh, hiking, uh, Jay, um, and thank goodness that uh, I live in an area here that's so beautiful. Uh, there's a, you, you talk about uh, the uh, sea turtles. I get a lot to an area over here up at Edisto Beach. Uh, there's an island, it's called Botany Bay. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's uh, one of the most beautiful places. My wife and I walk, and loggerheads come in there every year. And it'll be 800 to 1,000 or more sea net nests, and they'll protect those. And they have people there that walk around, and uh, they're retirees at Esto Island that will mark them securely. And so uh, your points are really well taken. I do a lot of hiking along Edisto Island, Botany Bay, I'll go for hours alone and not see a person. Uh, add, I like to add swamps. <laughs> I do a lot of hiking. There's water out there in swamps. A lot of people you're never going to see other than kind of like me. I go just for the beauty and the, the uh, water out there. But there's different seasons yeah. of the year that are just incredibly beautiful. Uh, I'll hike around the, the salt marshes around South Carolina, pretty much around here with an hour at Charleston. So your, your points are really well taken, man. Um, right now, my career is I do outplacement for a company. And we have, uh, uh, that's about my career for the last 16 years. So I have turned to the Zoom kind of world. And I'm, I'm going to get your book. I'll tell you that right now. And I can use this a lot with my, my clients who are, who are going through job loss right now and uh so as you're saying the the blue the, the blue brain the gray brain the, the red brain i'm getting sense you know hey i'm dealing with some people here who are gonna you know it could go off you know into the red uh, if we don't protect so uh my, my hat's off to you man i think you're doing great stuff and i but i just like to add any kind of water you know being around i grew up in northern wisconsin uh, uh by lake superior and uh moved to Southern California when I was really young and my dad, as he was shaking my hand, leaving Superior in my car, he goes, you will always be by water. 
and our fathers can really at times, you know, set the course. And here I am by water. Uh, so anyway, thank you, sir, for your your yep. presentation. You're very welcome, and I, I totally agree with you. I, I try to be as ecumenical about water as I can, and so the, the swamps, the bays, the wetlands, um, even so. You speak of um, Lake Superior. Let's throw the ice and the snow in there too, because yeah. that time of year when that when that lake's frozen, it's majestic, and yeah. it's a whole other kind of blue mind. And those those ice caves out in the in the uh, um, the islands off uh, Bayfield there. Yes. Uh, the Apostle yeah. Islands. Yeah. Uh, spent some time there as a high schooler. And, um, you know, everywhere you go, everywhere I go, I ask people, what's your water? And, and then just listen to the stories. And they're so wonderful and so rich. And it could be a farm pond with, you know, 10 feet deep. And it could be a creek. Uh, could be ice and snow. Um, could be a swamp, could, whatever it is, could be a, a little pool. Um, people have fond memories because it's a place, I can tell by the look on your face when you're telling your water story, uh, how important it is to, to you, to your social life, to your mental health, to yeah. your physical health. And our goal is to make that common knowledge. I would like every child in school to learn not just the water cycle, which is important, but the blue mind cycle and how from birth through all the way through death, water is your best friend. Um, you know, if you've, if you've lost a loved one, you know that mourning and grieving by the water uh, is, is helpful. Um, people love having their <laughs> request to have their ashes scattered by the water they love for a reason. And uh, we should talk about this stuff more because I think the result will be that we will value our marshes and our wetlands and our creeks and our, and our bays more when we have a, a more robust conversation like this. And, and uh, so thank you for sharing. Really one last, that. one last. Uh, uh, one day out of high school, um, I, I got on the Great Lakes as a deckhand on the Great Lakes freighter. And I sailed the five Great Lakes and there's a lot of fear out there. So, sir, when you're there, there's fear that you're out there and you're in choppy Lake Superior, Michigan, or whatever, you think this could be it. But the calming sense of, hey, this is, you know, one step away from the edge is very calming. So I think over years and years of uh, being there, especially in Great Lakes uh, and storms, uh, I was out there the year that the Fitzgerald went down. And oh, so wow. we were there a month before the same lease they were at. So, so I don't know what the story is in that, Jay, but it's very calming too. Fear can, fear can calm. Yeah, so, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And when we talk about red mind and blue mind, red mind's not all bad. Red mind is extremely useful. Yeah. Red mind will keep your butt alive. It'll get you out of trouble. It'll get you to the finish line. It put us on the moon. But if it's all you have, if you live in fear all the time, you will burn out, 100% guaranteed. So the, um, the challenge is to move from red to blue and know when you need to and to stay out of gray. And I, uh, I learned from working with uh, our veterans that a lot of them live in red mind and toggle into gray mind, and that's their life. And that's how that was the training. And actually, it's their, it's their comfort place is red mind. And it's a whole big process to get it so that they're moving between red and blue rather than red and gray. And uh, I've learned that from them um, when we have these conversations. So um, one last point on, on red, blue, and gray mind. A lot of people don't like to talk about their mental health and their emotional health with anybody, with their spouse, with their siblings, with their friends. Certainly they don't wanna talk about it at work. Um, but when you make it into this kind of almost cartoon-like, color-coded, mm -hmm. simple, overly simplified, by the way, if there are any uh, uh, psychologists or psychiatrists listening, I know it's oversimplified, um, but it's very useful, and it gets the conversation going. And if people are uncomfortable talking about anxiety disorders and post-traumatic stress and depression, because they're, those are clinical terms, they may be comfortable talking about blue, red, and gray. And talking about it is so important. 
and then it's the first step in managing it. And uh, so if we can have a great conversation and be very comfortable talking about red mine, gray mine, and blue mine, and then work towards more blue mine, that's a good thing for all of us. Uh, and it avoids some of the stigma uh, that's usually attached to these, these topics, so. Thanks, today. Thanks, Tom. Go ahead, Christy. I had a question. Hi. Um, so my name is Kirsty. I'm a researcher in Tasmania in Australia. Um, and there's, there's actually a few of us listening um, from the University of Tasmania. And we are working on a, on a project called Future Seas where we're looking at um, how uh, we could potentially improve um, this understanding of feedbacks between ocean health and human health over the, the next decade, over the ocean's decade. And I guess I'm interested in your perspectives on how we can sort of increase traction of, of this sort of message of, of improving understanding of these, this sort of, these close links and these feedbacks um, and what sort of concrete actions we could take to, to achieve that. Yeah, so I think it's, it's worth, well, thank you. That's, um, I'm very glad you're doing that. I think the first it's the first step in making these ideas like blue mind common knowledge, which is our goal is to make this common knowledge. Um, I think some of the first steps that you can take is to uh, make sure you're inviting the groups that can most benefit from these ideas. So our first responders, uh, I've recently done some uh, work uh, with the first responder community in Australia. Um, the boating community, um, people working in hospitals, uh, people working in hospice, uh, people working in um, grief, uh, counseling, um, anyone who you perceive is carrying uh, a load of red mind around that could be uh, wearing them down and burning them out. Bring them, invite them, doctors, nurses, therapists, um, journalists as well. I recently have learned that there's a uh, first responder group of journalists who are telling us the breaking news every day and reporting on it. And they see things you never ever wanna see every day. And then they have to decide whether or not to share it. Uh, they have to see it themselves and then filter it. And then they go home from work and act like life's good and everything's normal. And then they come back at 4 a.m. and do it all over again. And so there's that group. They're, uh, they need to avoid burning her out or else they won't be able to serve us in that way. Um, so I would say that's the first, maybe a first step is to say, hey, we're going to be talking about the emotional, social, and physical health benefits of healthy waterways and oceans. Um, and we think you may be interested and have insights. And I think the answer will be yes, uh, and then yes. <laughs> um, so that's, that's a, a, a first pass. I, I think the research is incredibly clear and abundant. Uh, personally, I'm not waiting around for more research, although I love reading it. We will, researchers will keep researching, thankfully. They, that's what they do. But I'm not waiting for more research to tell me that Blue Mind is real and needs to be applied um, in a widespread manner and needs to become common knowledge. So, uh, so first and foremost, thank you for including it. Most ocean conferences still in 2020 don't, uh, even at the UN level. Um, I often beg for it to be included in, in the big ocean conferences and it somehow, for some reason, is continually left out. So uh, thank you for kind of coming out the gate with the intention to include it. I think that's, um, that's called innovative leadership and, and, and I really appreciate it when I see it. So thank you. Is that useful uh, answer? Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. I've got a question too, if I may. Yes. Yeah, it's Ingrid Van Putten also in Tasmania, uh, like Kirsty in a different location, I believe. Um, yeah, I had a question about um, experiential um, aspects of the blue mind. And I was thinking about your comment about um, the health uh, profession and people in um, 
in emergency um, services, etc., who sometimes may not be able to actually get access or experience, direct experience of the ocean or the swimming pool or anything to do with water. Is it, how do you deal with that if you can't have those experiences directly? Um, and you probably cover that in your book, which I admit I haven't, um, I haven't read yet, but I will. Um, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, so I, I think um, all waters are useful. So it's the lakes, the rivers, the oceans, the wetlands, the creeks, the, the ice, the rain, the puddles, the ponds. That's all the wild water. And then the domestic water, the water that's in your home, the water that's in your tub, in, in your spa, in your hot tub. Um, if I was an emergency room doctor uh, or nurse or frontline uh, healthcare worker, I would invest, I'd get rid of my TV and I would invest in a hot tub. Absolutely. Not just for, for my sanity, but for my whole family. Um, so domestic water of all kinds, if you're lucky enough to ac have a, access to a pool. Um, personally, I think every hospital should have a pool for patients and for staff because there is not much better um, therapy than being in the water. Um, that's a, a bit of a vision for the future. Um, there are some hospitals that have done it, and it's great. Um, I have a colleague in Israel, and her hospital has a, a pool, a therapy pool that's always active by all whole range of patients uh, and staff who need it. Uh, and then the third category, so we've got wild, we've got domestic, and then we've got virtual and um, depictions of water when there is no water. Uh, so art, photography, film, music, um, making the art, making the photography, singing the songs. Um, and uh, prose and poetry, reading about your favorite water. I, I've, I have my own, my own go-to. There's a great book called The River Swimmer uh, by Jim Harrison. And if you don't write this down, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come pinch you, um, all of you. <laughs> the River Swimmer, it's a novella by Jim, the great Jim Harrison. Uh, if I'm ever feeling too much red mind, I just grab that off the shelf and read it. And, uh, it's glorious and it, it takes me through my imagination um, to that place. Um, so, and so we all have our, our go-to, uh, Pablo Neruda, Mary Oliver, the poets, um, mentioned earlier, making a playlist of your water music. Uh, and so if you pick one thing from each of those categories that works for you, uh, at the end of the day, this is really about mindfulness and it's about slowing down. And a lot of, you know, if you spend time in water, you know that your breath work is so important. Uh, if you are a frog man or woman, you know that it's all about the breathing. It's all about the mind and the breathing. It's all about staying calm. If you're in red mind and you're breathing fast, you're, you're just not, it's not gonna be fun. Uh, so learning that in the water and then transferring those skills, those breathing skills, uh, into the air, into, onto land, uh, are really helpful. Um, there was a moment, this is a few years back, when our president of the United States was Barack Obama, and somebody asked him, uh, how do you keep your cool? What's going on? Like, what? You're under a lot of pressure as president, as all presidents are. How do you keep your cool? And he said, I lived in Hawaii. And when I'm under a lot of pressure, I imagine myself uh, body surfing. That day I was body surfing with a sea turtle. And I saw that sea turtle under the ocean and I looked at it and it looked at me. And no matter where he, who, who he is having, you know, jousting with, what kind of bad day, uh, he, he goes there for a minute and it calms him, cools him down. And so we all kind of, we could all use that, right? So it's our imaginations are part of that virtual water. We have, we all under this little skull thing, this under this hat, under the hair, under the skin and the bone, there's a brain. And that brain is like an imagination factory and uh, you got to use it. So that's, it's a, it's a mindfulness process as, um, as well. Um, 
but for our first responders, it's, uh, it needs to be taught. It needs to be encouraged. It needs to be reiterated. It needs to be prioritized or they will burn out. And that is pointless. And so if you think you're doing the right thing by overworking until you burn out, um, you're sorely mistaken. And that, that culture needs to change. And I, I know, uh, many relatives who are in healthcare and I was an EMT. Um, that's the culture work, work, work until you collapse. That's no good. Uh, and it's, it comes from a well-meaning place, but it, it's, um, it's not a good strategy. So we need to change that, change that culture and, uh, self-care is the key, even if it's 15 minutes, uh, of blue mind time. So I don't know, is that, even if that's a helpful answer, it was a long answer, and hopefully it was helpful too. Thank you very much. Jay, do you have time for one more question? I, I know you have a Facebook event coming up. I do, but uh, I'll mention that if I'm at five o'clock uh, Pacific Coast time, uh, I do a, um, uh, a Blue Mind online book club, and we do it every night. I read a little bit. We're on chapter seven right now. I read a little bit of this. This is the seventh year, which means we've been doing it nightly for 452 days <laughs> without missing a day. This is kind of ridiculous. But um, so if you want to keep the conversation going, if you don't have my book and you want me to read it to you before you fall asleep, uh, join us. It's my, my Facebook page, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. And I'll be over there uh, shortly after we finish up here. But yeah, another question would be great. Yeah, I have something um, I'd like to ask. Um, first of all, wonderful job. Really enjoyed it. Um, but so we we hear a lot about uh, there's some organizations who are trying to raise awareness for various marine issues. Um, and you're talking a little bit about the the red mind being a little bit of anxiety and not necessarily always bad uh, and the blue mind being, being calm and um, generating that appreciation for water. Do you think it's important to use both of those to help gain awareness within the public um, and also to bring people together toward a cause? And how do you figure out when to engage which one? Um, because I understand not everyone's going to respond to to either one, right? Um, so what are your thoughts on either nonprofits or companies as they try to use this to the best advantage? Really good question. I think um, it's kind of a know your audience. So if you're, if you're speaking about staff, um, if your staff is in red mind mode all the time, which many people who work on environmental issues, their staff are in red mind mode all the time, not just because of the urgency of the problem, but because of scarcity of funds and competition with other organizations and there's lots of, lots of factors. Um, you need to help your staff not stay in red mind mode all the time or they will burn out uh, or we will burn out. Uh, I guarantee it, as I've said. Um, and that's no good. You don't want anybody burning out who has committed a decade or more to this work. That's, that's, uh, we need them to be well. Um, if your goal is to be creative and collaborative, red mind doesn't work. Uh, and usually our goal is to be creative and collaborative. Um, so those are two reasons to use blue mind in, with your staff. If you're communicating to the public, you know, there's, there's an appropriate time for accurate urgency, but if if your urgency is uh, exaggerated and you're you're just pushing on the blue the red mind pedal because you're it's a good fundraising tool and it's a good way to get people to sign petitions, um, I I would discourage that. Um, it's a short term strategy. Uh, this kind of gets into a I, I do workshops for nonprofits uh, on this topic. Um, the differences between a campaign a project, an organization, a business, uh, and a movement are worth understanding. And if you're in campaign mode, that's generally a red mind mode. Unfortunately, campaigns are short, and then you usually get a little bit of a break or vacation, whether they're political or environmental, or social justice. Um, there's a beginning, a middle, and end, and there's a winner and a loser as an outcome. 
that is not the way the world actually works. Uh, you get trapped in campaign mode and sometimes campaigns are successful, but they destroy a movement. It's very common uh, among the groups that I've done workshops for, they all nod. Um, so I personally take a, a movement approach to my work. I don't have an organization. Uh, I don't have a, a business per se. I don't have a brand. Uh, I, I, I want to see a bigger blue movement, which means a diverse network of healthy organizations and individuals and businesses. Uh, so that's, a that's my personal career approach. Um, so I'm getting off, off topic a little bit there, but I think that's part of, the, part of the answer. And so I've given talks about Blue Mind and had people very, very, very disappointed that there wasn't more uh, blood and dead stuff because that's what they came for. Bad, they came for the bad news. And uh, that, that's kind of creepy, actually. Uh, and but some, that's a piece of our movement is the kind of the red meat kind of part of it. It's like, give me, give me somebody to fight. Give me an enemy. Give me more red mind. Um, and that's satisfying in a way. It's a dopamine rush to put a chemical name to it. Uh, but every project I've ever been involved in that's been successful, like saving the black sea turtle from extinction, which actually happened from the verge of extinction to downlisted this year, um, was based in love and cooperation. And yeah, we talk about the reality, the bad news, but we don't linger in the bad news and we don't run the bad news up the flagpole. Um, we build coalitions and we work with turtle hunters to save sea turtles. And now they're running the whole thing. And, uh, you know, it took 25 years, very different approach, very blue mind approach and very successful. Um, so if your budget depends on fighting, then you're probably just going to stick around and fight, uh, and kind of create that. Uh, but if your goal is long-term success, I think you want to switch into blue mind mode. And that's, is my opinion and also my my experience in the in the trenches so to speak but if you have follow-up any if actually if anybody wants to follow up on any of these great really great questions um please do drop me an email and we can hop on a one-on-one -on -one or, or smaller group zoom session and talk about it um i've done workshops even during coronavirus i've done workshops uh, for surf therapy groups about um, red mine, gray mine, and blue mine, so they can understand for their staff and then for their clients what that's all about. Uh, and I've done workshops for nonprofits who are trying to figure this out too how not to burn out. Yeah, if you thought things were tight uh, in January, things are way, way tighter now, and in two more months, it's going to be even tighter and we still want to keep doing our work. So creativity and collaboration are important. Your brain doesn't do creativity and collaboration in fight or flight mode. Just a fact. <laughs> you can try, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Uh, and so how do we collaborate more? How do we get on the same page? Maybe we blend some organizations together. I think this is a great time to say, hey, there are six of us doing the same darn thing. Our names are almost exactly the same. We have a lot of redundant overhead. What if we merge? And that's a, an act of humility and collaboration. And uh, if you have that, then then that's one way to one way to approach it. Jay, thanks. Uh, out of respect for your time and your Facebook event, uh, I, I think we should end. But uh, this was extraordinary, and uh, I'm, I'm so thankful uh, that you took the time to meet with us tonight. Uh, I look forward to uh, following up with you and uh, thanks so much. It was really extraordinary. Right. Thank you. My pleasure and honor and great to meet everybody. Thank you for really very, very good questions. Uh, real world, insightful, useful questions. And I think people who listened will, will appreciate your questions. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You yeah. bet. Thank you. And audience, I hope you'll join future uh, conversations of our future Frogmen conversation series. Thanks and everyone have a good evening. We hope you like our Blue Earth podcast. Thanks for listening, and please rate and review the show wherever you're hearing us. We're going to release the show on a weekly basis. So until next time, remember, anyone can be an ocean ambassador.